So we started a new series last week, New Way to Live, and we're in Matthew chapter 7. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They've got them in the back. They will bring one right to you. And uh, turn to Matthew 7 with me, please, and uh, you can follow along. Here's what it says in Matthew 7, starting verse 1. Everybody all set? Okay. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, the passage just before this, which, of course, seems like forever ago, but it was two weeks ago that we were looking at the last few verses in Matthew chapter 6. And there's a signature verse there by Jesus. It's Matthew 6, that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. I mean, our focus is to be on God on God's righteousness, on what God wants to have happen in our lives and in our homes and in our church and in our employment and in our city and in our world. Seek God's righteousness, to seek it first. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a hurry to get to work and I can't find my keys, I'm desperately looking all over the house. Now, if Cindy's asleep, of course, you know, could wake her up. She knows where everything is. She can say, where's the goobus of the frubus? And she'll say, well, it's in the bottom drawer in the guest room on the left. And, you know, from a dead sleep, she knows where everything is, but I don't always. And so, you know, I'm frantically looking for my keys. And in the process of that frantic search, because I really want to be somewhere and it's my higher priority, I'm willing to overlook the unmade bed or the spots on the mirror or the breakfast dishes left in the sink or the messes the dog made or the clothes that got left on the floor or the newspaper or yesterday's stack of mail or what's happening in the lawn or the garage. You know, none of that matters. I got to find the keys, got to get out of here. And so my focus is on what's most important. And Jesus is saying, right after he said, seek first the kingdom of heaven, he said, judge not that you be not judged. He's saying, put your highest priority on seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus directs us to focus on the rule of God and his righteousness. And when we do that, we realize <clears throat> we're far from perfect, so we need to fix our own lives. And he's going to help you deal with your sin and me with mine and our struggles. And in doing so, we gain compassion to help others with theirs. So the big idea here is the new way to live in Jesus sets you free from being judgmental of others. Now, I'm not just saying you throw your hands up and say, well, whatever. It doesn't matter what happens or it doesn't matter what people do. He's not saying that. Um, he's saying... Judge not that you be not judged. And if you look at this passage kind of as a little overview, first he gives instruction, don't be judgmental. And then the, he gives an explanation of that. He says, God will use the same standard to judge you that you use to judge, which is kind of why on a poster it said, Lord, make my words sweet and tender. Tomorrow I might have to eat them. And, and then he ends with this parable, which is a little story with a big point that you've got bigger problems of your own. Judge those. Solve those. Because your judgments might not be received all that well anyway. So he says, do not judge, which there are several meanings of the word judge. To analyze, to evaluate, to discern, to decipher, as well as to criticize or condemn or avenge. 
I mean, Jesus is addressing the temptation here and the tendency we all have. Left to our natural state, we will find fault with others. We will condemn. We will compare someone to ourselves, and they come up short. The Pharisees that were in Jesus' crowd had turned this into an art form. And Jesus wanted his followers to think differently and to treat people differently than that. The Pharisees were hypercritical of everyone. They had memorized not just a chapter or a verse. They had memorized the whole five books of Moses. They knew all the law by heart. Every little comma, every little period, every little exclamation point. And they, but somehow in the process of knowing it all, they had missed the spirit of the law of what God was trying to say to his people in the law. And in the process, they had gone from hypercritical to hypocritical because they're not able to live up to the law either. The standard that they're holding out there, they can't maintain. So this was a problem, but not just for the Pharisees. Here Jesus said to his disciples, do not judge. And it's not too long after that that they're going to Jerusalem. The disciples have the same virus. I mean, Jesus has been teaching them, don't judge. Just focus on the kingdom of God. They're on their way to die for the sin of the world, and they're having a dispute between them about, you know what? Who's most important around here? Who's the greatest? And so, you know, Jesus is driving the bus, and they're all in the back seats, and they're, they're having this discussion that they think he can't hear. And finally he goes, what are you all talking about? They didn't want to tell him. It's in Luke 22. It says, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. Now, how do you have that kind of discussion without judging and helping yourself to come out number one? You can't. And so Jesus, instead of saying, remember, guys, when we were on the Sermon on the Mount, remember I said, don't judge? What's so wrong with you? He didn't say anything like that. He just says to them this time, he says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you be as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So obviously they're going to judge, but it's not talking about the same thing, is he? He's not talking about being judgmental and complaining and comparing ourselves to others when they're the 12, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It goes on to say Christians are going to judge even angels. So we know that Christians are, going to, are to judge and to discern and to reason and to analyze and to evaluate. That's not what Jesus is saying to avoid. And he's not saying just throw out all the standards. He's saying, don't be judgmental. Don't be like that. Stop criticizing others. Don't have one standard for yourself and one standard for other people because God's going to use your same standard to judge you. So the Pharisees had this problem. The disciples had this problem. And here, 2,000 years later, we have the same virus right here at church. It's all over the world. 2,000 years later, human nature has not outgrown this bad habit. Judging others can be one of our most practiced habits. Now, there was a pastor named John Burke from a Gateway Church in Austin, Texas, from the Great Republic, and he was going to preach on this. And so, even that's a judgment, isn't it? And so he assumed, I'm not a judgmental person, which most of us, if I said, who here is not judgmental? Most of us would probably raise our hands. But just to test himself, he said, I'm going to try to catch myself this week 
Every time I'm judgmental, I'm going to write it down and keep a list and find out when I'm judgmental. And here's what he found. Ready? Here's his quote. Judging others is fun. He said it makes you feel good, and I'm not sure I've gone a single day without this sin. In any given week, I might condemn my son numerous times for his messy room, judge my daughter for being moody, which especially bothers me when I'm being moody, but I have a good reason. And even my dog gets the hammer of condemnation for his bad breath. Some of you may be thinking, wait, are you saying my, correcting my kid for his messy room is judging? No, but there's correction that values mercy, and there's correction that devalues with judgment. I watch the news, and I condemn those idiotic people who do such things. Most reality TV shows are full of people I can judge as sinful, ignorant, idiotic, arrogant, or childish. I get in my car, and I drive, and I find a host of inept drivers who should have flunked their driving test. And I throw in a little condemnation on our Department of Public Safety for good measure. I go to the store and I complain to myself about the lack of organization that makes it impossible to find what I'm looking for, all the while being tortured with Muzak. Who picks that music anyway? <laughs> I stand in the shortest line, which I judge is way too long because, look, people, who says 10 items or less? And I count more than three of you in this line with more than 10 items. What's wrong with you people? And why can't that teenage checker, what is she wearing? Why can't she focus and work so we can get out of here? And he goes on, concludes, judging is our favorite pastime, if we're honest, but we're not. We're great at judging the world around us by standards we would highly resent if they were held to us. Judging makes us feel good because it puts us in a better light than others. Now, you might say, oh, come on, judging others isn't that critical. It's not that big of a deal. Isn't Jesus kind of down in the weeds here? Maybe he's run out of other things to talk about. <clears throat> well, you know, this is a sin. It doesn't seem nearly as bad as others, does it? It certainly, in our view, isn't up there with adultery and murder. But Jerry Briggs, Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. And there's a portion in there on this sin of judgmentalism. He says, the sin of judgmentalism is one of the most subtle of our respectable sins because it's often practiced under the guise of being zealous for what's right. It's obvious that within our conservative evangelical circles, there are myriads of opinions on everything from theology to conduct to lifestyles and politics. Not only are there multiple opinions, we usually assume our opinion is correct, of course. That's where our trouble with judgmentalism begins. We equate our opinion with truth. And then he gives three examples of his own judgmentalism in the past on what Christians wear to church and the music they sing in church and Christians drinking alcohol. Thank God we've gotten past all that. <laughs> See, the sin of judgmentalism might be harder to root out of our lives because we don't think it's a big deal. It's not like murder or adultery. It's just a little deal, nothing to get so anxious about. Well, it was a big deal to Jesus. So if we're going to take Jesus seriously, if we're going to be fully devoted followers of Christ, then this kind of judging others has to be rooted out of the garden of our heart. During our prep time, I, I meet with the, the, the three younger, taller pastors every Tuesday, and we talk about who's going to be preaching, what they're going to be talking about. And so Pastor Eric, you know, he wasn't the tall one. He was the really tall one. Um, he said, let me read this passage from the paraphrase called The Message. 
Here's how it says it in the message. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you? When your own face is distorted by contempt, it's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. So look why Jesus said not to judge. It's in verse 2. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He says the reason you don't judge is because the same standard is going to be applied to you by God. I mean, how would you do being measured on your own standard? I mean, is there anybody here who's ever had children of their own or borrowed children even for a short time or worked at church in children or youth ministry? You've bound to have heard a child say, hey, you said this and then you did that. You said not to do something and then you did the same thing yourself. And in other words, what they're saying is you're not fair. You're not being consistent. You have a double standard, one for you and one for everybody else. And if you judge, expect God to use the same standard that you used on others. You know, a prime example of this is from the Old Testament. Here, King David was raised out of obscurity by God, gifted, blessed, put on the throne of Israel, given all kinds of, of treasure and accolades and opportunity, and yet in his midlife, King David let sin cloud his better judgment. Now, that happens when sin comes in. It clouds our better judgment. It seems like when we sin, then God's Spirit isn't as clear. It's harder for us to hear his little still small voice. And David committed adultery, but then to cover it up, he committed murder, and he thought he had gotten away with it. But God, the righteous judge who sees our hearts, who hears every word, who sees what we do, who can tell what's going on in our motives, was very grieved. And so God sent the prophet Nathan, and uh, Nathan came to see David. And so when he walked in, I suppose King David said, well, hello, prophet Nathan, what are you doing here? He says, well, i got a story to tell you. There's these two neighbors, one's rich and very rich, and one's very poor. And the rich one has all kinds of flocks and herds of sheep and goats. And the poor man, just he and his family have just one little lamb, a ewe, and she drinks right out of their cup. She's at their table. In fact, they cuddle her in at bed at night. She's like part of their family. She's, she's, it's like a daughter to him. But the rich man had some guests come from out of town, and so he was preparing a banquet. So he took the one little ewe from the poor family, killed it, and served it for dinner. Well, King David's anger boiled over, and he said, that man should die. And the prophet looked at him and said, David, you are that man. You are that man. You have stolen another man's wife, and murder has been um, committed in this, and, and, and you are the man. I mean, whose job is it really to be the judge? The Bible says, shall not the judge of all the earth judge rightly? And the answer is, of course he will. God will. God is able to judge the motives and intentions of the heart. And we try. We judge other people's motives. But, uh, you know, we're hoping they're just judging our actions and words because our motives are always pure, right? <laughs> I mean, Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? I think Jesus had fun with this little word picture, this judgmentalism of people, focusing on the sins of others and not on your own. 
I mean, everybody here probably at some point has gotten a speck of dust in your eye or an eyelash under your contact lens. Ouch, that really hurts. Or a finger from a child poked in your eye or a bug just flew in or some other painful experience in your eye. It is a showstopper. And Jesus says, oh, dear, look at you. You, know, you have a log in your eye. Ouch, that's a humongous problem. It would take your entire focus and energy and attention. You'd be trying to get help fast. Call 911, somebody. Get me to emergency medical attention now. And you wouldn't be worried about the temperature of your coffee or what color shirt you wore that day or if your kid was whistling a little off tune in the house again while you'd been trying to be sleeping. You know what I'm saying? It's, you'd focus on the most important thing. Get this log out of my eye. Or you look at it, it gets, even gets worse. He says, or your brother says, you know, let me help you take that speck out of your eye. So you're fixing other people's sins, but not your own. Notice Jesus is basically saying, come on, you've got bigger fish to fry yourself, and you know it. Just deal with what you need to deal with before the Lord for yourself. And then he says in verse 5, you hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is one of the few times, in fact, I think it's the only time that Jesus used the word hypocrite on the disciples. He's that serious about this little issue. Jesus wants his fully devoted followers to focus on and to fix the issues in their own heart, to deal with their own sin first before they go helping others focus on theirs. Paul talks about this, and Christians do have the responsibility. And in Galatians 6, he said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor." For each will have to bear his own load. We each will stand before God to give an account for our life. Wouldn't it be better if you had dealt with it and asked Jesus forgiveness for where you've come up short instead of just meddling in, in other people's business? And yet there are times where leaders who are the spiritually mature need to help address issues in people's lives. We're here with the whole goal of how do we restore them to the fellowship of the faithful in Christ. And Jesus is setting out a new way to live that sets you free from being judgmental. He says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus and what he wants you to do or to not do. And there are times that the spiritually mature will need to help another believer, but not just to criticize or to find fault, but to restore them to fellowship. And then Matthew includes one more little statement from Jesus, which has left the scholars scratching their heads if it's part of the same thought or if it's just a new topic that got placed right here after, after what Jesus said in the first five verses. Well, I, I'm not the judge. You, you help me here. Look at it. It says, verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, Neither pigs nor dogs are esteemed highly in Jewish culture. Um, and so they're talking about people who, you know, Jesus is talking to these animals. You, you wouldn't give your dog, even if it's your favorite pet, the communion bread that we shared today, right? Because it's holy. It's sacred. It, it's, it's the body of Christ that we share. And 
pearls before pigs is a picture of taking something precious and valuable and, and sharing it with a beast that would be wasting it or trashing it or possibly finding yourself trampled in the process or attacked. Pigs aren't looking for beauty or goodness or truth. They are looking for something to eat. They are driven incessantly by their appetites, and it means nothing to them to hurt you in the process. And Jesus is saying here, be discerning when you're correcting others or presenting the gospel in a way that will earn you abuse. I mean, sometimes people aren't ready to receive the good news. Just love them and, and show them the love of Christ first. And sometimes you've shared it with them so many times that you don't need to say anything again. Just seeing your face or hearing your name reminds them he's talked about this for the umpteenth time. And maybe it's just time to remain silent. And sometimes it's just time to move on. Jesus did. He shared the good news with people. And then, he, he, then they heard and they contemplated. And whether they had chosen faith or not, he chose to move on. And if they'd out reject, outright rejected the good news or his suggestions to improve their life, and uh, he just kept moving. And there's times that you and I, it says, just need to let it go, trusting that God is still the ultimate judge who cares. So this new way to live is to live free of being judgmental. How do you do that? Well, put your focus on Jesus. He was full of grace and truth. You look at Jesus, for instance, in the book of John. In John chapter 4, he's sitting with a woman who's already had five husbands, bombed out five times, and now she's living with uh, another man who's not her husband. She has wreaked havoc in her home time after time after time, and in who knows how many other countless people have uh, cried themselves to sleep in her little town just because of her. And Jesus talks with her at the well and doesn't exactly condemn her, but he lets her know he knows her story. And in the process, he's transformational in her heart where she goes and runs to town to talk to those very people who've been avoiding her to say, "You come on, you've got to come here. The best news ever. The Messiah is sitting out at the well, at our well right here in our little town. In John chapter 8, a woman who is accused and caught in adultery is humiliated and thrown at Jesus' feet, put on display before everybody. Pharisees, of course, are yelling and screaming for the law says to stone her, what do you say, what do you say, what do you say, what do you say? And Jesus gets down and he writes in the dirt with his finger and then finally says, yep, stone her, just like the law says. And the one without sin, throw the first stone. And they began to leave one at a time because they knew they were not perfect and they were not pure enough to be able to throw that first stone. And finally, he says to the woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. He says, I don't accuse you either. Now go sin no more. And he sets her free to go live in a way that would please God. In John 21, Jesus is talking with Peter, who has sworn up and down that he didn't know Jesus in a public sort of way. So now in a public sort of way, before the disciples, Jesus is restoring Peter to the group. And then he says to him, you know, Peter, when you get older, somebody else is going to direct and dictate your life. And uh, he basically was suggesting to Peter that Peter would end up being a martyr. Well, Peter looks around, he sees his buddy John, he goes, well, what about him? And Jesus says, that's none of your business. Just follow me. Just keep your focus on Christ, not on yourself, not on somebody else's irritating behavior. Think of Jesus and what he had endured for you and what he has called us to do, to love him and to serve him and to keep our focus on him and to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Shall we pray? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your example. 
Thank you for your encouragements. Thank you for your sacrifice of giving yourself for us. Now I pray that as we contemplate in our own hearts, help us to know what we need to ask you to forgive, what we need to let go of, what we need to lift up as virtuous and continue, and how to get judgmentalism out of our routine, out of our habits. Help us to live like Jesus and for Jesus each and every moment. Thank you that your spirit gives us the power to do just that. We thank you and we love you. We praise you. Amen.